The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. At the age of 12, our guest today, Ellen Wilton, was learning to ride a horse western style when the cinch slipped and she was kicked in the temple by the horse. She lay in a coma for five days, not expecting to live, uh, during, during which time she experienced a remarkable NDE with tremendously impactful spiritual lessons. Ellen was drawn back into her body by music, but was with practically no memory of her life before the accident. Today, Ellen is a transpersonal and music therapist, healer, workshop presenter, and educator who uses numerous modalities such as music, sound bowls, uh, essential oils, meditation, and more. One of her gifts is to work directly with angel guidance for patient care. Ellen has a master's degree in transpersonal counseling with an emphasis in music therapy. She's trained in the Bonnie method of guided imagery and music, holotropic breathwork, Reiki, and aroma release. As an example, she's worked at the VA to mitigate soldiers' PTSD by using essential oils that impact the limbic system, helping to defray the intensity of their symptoms. Ellen, welcome to NDE Radio. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, it's wonderful that you're here. And uh, Ellen, um, I can't really ask about your early childhood since those memories were lost in the accident, but uh, let's begin with what you experienced in your NDE. Absolutely. I was, well, it, I was taken to another place, really. I, I found myself first on this raft of sorts, a wooden raft um, on a pink cloud. And in front of me was Jesus. And to the left of me was a man thin and bald with long brown robes. And I felt so at home and safe. I felt completely, completely protected and loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And then I was yeah, and then I was taken to heaven, right? So that was my next piece. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you first. How did how did you know it was Jesus? Did had you been raised Christian? Yeah, I did, it was a knowing. I just knew I had been raised in a Christian faith, right, Methodist, and uh-huh. so I always assume that in these near death experiences, the guides that come to you and the masters that come to you are ones that first are known to you. I just kind of get a sense of that, and so he was there, and then I was later to find out that the 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 guide and master on my left was Buddha. And that was a master I hadn't known of yet or met, but he became very real to me later in my life. Yes. And did Jesus look like the traditional <laughs> Jesus of, of um, your Methodist upbringing? He did. Um, he was wearing very basic robes, so it wasn't anything ornate. Um, I've seen him again. He's come to me again late more lately and he's wearing more adorned adorned robes and sitting in a, a you know a throne of gold and buddha came back to me too but then he was just in very simple robes and just very loving and i remember the eyes and just feeling so loved and connected and we communicated through our thoughts so what were his eyes like did they were they a particular color or did they were they illuminated somehow? They were light. They were love. It's more 
this whole experience became more about a feeling and a knowing than what I actually saw. But there was this unimaginable, beautiful, loving energy that just encompassed me and I became that love at one point later when I went to heaven. Mm. Mm. And you had said, I think, that um, uh, Buddha was a protector of sorts. It was so interesting because I felt though as though I knew him and Mm -hmm. he was ancient, right? And I felt very protected as if he were to, to shield me and protect me in some way. But he never communicated with me, not in the way that Jesus did through his thoughts. Oh. He was just there, a presence, a loving, grounding, protective energy. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I wonder if you'd been a Buddhist in a past life. You know, I've wondered that many times. Uh, I've seen a few of my past lives since this experience, um, and I was told that I passed away of a head injury in previous lives, and I saw it happen. I was a Native American on a horse. It was shot in the head in one of my lives. Uh, but I haven't been taken back to a Buddhist life, but I would I would definitely believe that to be true, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then f- from your raft in the pink clouds, you were lifted into heaven. What was that like? Yeah, so from that place, I just was in this place of light. And so at first, it was more of what you experience as a human, where I could hear music, and I could see the light, and I could feel the love. I didn't see any other beings with me, but I felt them there. I could feel their energy and their love. So what happened to me, my experience, the best I can describe it was I felt like was blanketed by this unconditional, unimaginable, beautiful, warm love and light. And as I felt it kind of, it kind of the pressure and the warmth of it around my body, I started to feel my body dissipate. I didn't have a body in this place. I just became the love. I felt myself kind of melting into it. And then I was love. I was, I was beautiful love. And, and that's all that mattered. Like, I just remember it it was just a, a state of being absolute love. Did you feel that you had any of your own personality left or did you feel totally merged in God? I was completely merged. There was no me. There was no personality. I was part of something bigger. I was connected to something greater. I was source. I was divine energy. We all were divine energy. All of the energies that we have now are divine energy. And I think that's a big message that I brought back with me when I came back is that we hold that divine energy in us because we all have purpose. We all have meaning. And all we have to do is recognize it and acknowledge it. So there was no fear connected with this melding into the love? Oh, no, there was no fear at all. I felt as though everything were meant to happen as it did. And even when I was taken back to the raft after my experience of becoming the love, I remember all of this knowing that came to me. There was no fear that anything that I chose would be right, whether I chose to stay there in heaven or to come back here. And so many wonderful, beautiful messages came through. Mm. Uh, some people who uh, have had near-death experiences insist that they maintain their own individuality and through the experience. And I think it, it seems to me that in, uh, our final goal is to do exactly what you started to do, which is to merge completely into God's love. Yeah. Um, you also said there was beautiful music. There was. And it since was... You, you've had such a calling to music, tell us what, what was that? What kind of music yeah. was it? 
Oh, you know, it was, uh, it was music like you've never heard. It's like I've never heard on this plane, but I would know it if I heard it again. And music was such a huge part of first me, me choosing to come back and, and bringing me out of the coma. Music brought me out. And then I became a music therapist and I threw myself into music. So the music piece was absolutely crucial for me. It was just something that I connected to right away. And then just became the love. Again, all that went away when I became the love and the music came back as I was coming out of the coma. So mm. it, it was now, just the most beautiful thing. <laughs> now, you were given a choice whether to stay or to come back. Tell us about that. I was. I knew it would be okay. If I chose to stay, that was right. If I chose to come back, that was right. There was no wrong or right. I was very clearly received that message. And I remember wanting to stay because I loved being connected. I love being loved. I love that energy and that feeling and just being reunited and home. But I also knew that living is a gift and, and that we learn through our lives and that we have purpose and that everyone comes here for a purpose. And we have so much meaning that we can bring to the world and so much change, whether we believe it or not. And I just, I saw many other things too. As I told you, I saw the lives of my family and, and lots of things that I was given access to see. But what it really came down to was gratitude that I got to come back. Because mm -hmm. once I made that decision to come back, I was filled with gratitude. My heart just, I can't even explain it in words, but I'm sure that your listeners and you have experienced this yourself where your heart is just exploding, expanding, right? With this warm gratitude of what you get to do. And I remember just almost just um, making a vow at that time. I want to heal people with music. I want to help people. I will go to bed every night and give thanks that I get to come back. And I think so many people want to escape. So that message is huge, right? That, that we learn through this. So. Yes. Now you said when you had decided to come back that you went to a a dark place, but it was a comforting place. Yeah, it was almost womb-like. When I say dark, it was it was completely blackness. It was almost like one would expect a coma to be, but in this darkness, there was warmth and love, and I could see a staff of music, almost animated in the in the distance, far away. It was getting closer and closer, and I could see different colored music notes. So each note on the staff had a different color and it would move as if music were playing, but I couldn't hear anything because only one of my senses at a time was working at this point. I, that's the best I can describe it. So I watched it get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it got so big. It's almost like I went into the staff of music and then that went away and I heard a sound. And that, that was the real magic of this experience for me. What was the sound like? So if you were to imagine a tiny, tiny pinprick of light in darkness, in complete darkness, that's how I explain it. But instead of it being light that I could see, it was this really soft, beautiful music and almost inaudible. At first you think, am I hearing something? No. Yes, I am. So Every part of my being focused on that sound and I pulled it to me and I felt I pulled myself toward it. It was like the hardest experience in all of this. I fought to get to that music, I pulled it louder and louder and louder and louder till it was booming in my head. And then I opened my eyes, the music, no more sound. I could only see 
And I was mm. in the ICU awake. Wow. I want to take you back a minute to something else you said. When you were in the in the heart of God, basically, you knew that there was no right or wrong. Do you think that holds true on earth too, or are there wrongs on earth? So when I speak to that, there being no right or wrong, that was the choice I was given had no right or wrong. I can't speak to right or wrong on earth because I do believe that we have personal choice and we can make a choice to live in our path or we can make a choice to live outside of our path. And outside of our path, I do believe affects our journey here and our spiritual journey and doesn't connect us to source the same way. Hmm. So when I was given the choice, I knew there was no right or wrong. When I was in that space of love, I didn't think about right or wrong. So that didn't come up there. Um, But what did come up was that it was all love by a different name. And I do remember that. I remember thinking, okay, here I am. This is not definable. This is not, there are no boundaries. There are no limits. There are no limitations on this love. It doesn't go to some people and not others. It goes to all. And we all have access to it. Always. Wow. Yeah. Was there any other knowledge you recall that Jesus communicated to you? So much. I mean, so much that I remember the very first thing I I conceptualized, I could think when I was on the raft, when I got back from heaven, right, was that everything that we worry about on earth, most everything that we worry about doesn't matter. Really. Like we're thinking about who did what or where we're going to be or if we're going to be late. But in reality, what really matters is, each other and connection and relationship. What really matters is tapping into purpose and recognizing that we all have a purpose. There was so much information. I mean, everything from gratitude, a huge lesson of gratitude that we can live in the space of gratitude and it will bring us closer to the divine. So much came through. I mean, I I could go on for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you decided to return, did you immediately go into the darkness or were you back on the raft again? So I was on the raft at the beginning, was taken to heaven, was back on the raft, was shown and told and told things. I don't know how long I was there. There was really no time. There, I, there was no time at all. I, it could have been a lifetime. It could have been 50 lifetimes. But I received so much information about purpose and what we're here for and what's important. And then... As soon as I made the choice and I gave gratitude and I made the vow, I went into the darkness instantly and saw the music. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Now, you you said um, that you had, your father had been playing music from a Disney movie. Yeah. Yes. Was it Sleeping Beauty? Did, it was. Did <laughs> <laughs> and there you were in a coma, and he's playing the music from Sleeping Beauty, and you wake up. I think that's almost uh, a movie yeah. in itself. I know. It's it's unreal. And I remember, I think I told you, my mom was so mad. She was like, don't play. That's ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. You can't play that. That's horrible. Right? So she had all this judgment around it. But he was told to play music at my bedside that might stimulate my mind. And for days, they had been playing home movies and my favorite movies. And this was one of my favorite childhood movies. So he played it. She was so angry about it. But, (laughs) But, hey, he knew. He knew on some level. And I was shown my dad's life when I was there. And and how my passing would have affected his path on this plane. And I remember that being a big part of my choice to come back. Mm -hmm. So there was some connection there. 
he was connected to source in some way and made that choice that saved my life and brought me back and gave me this beautiful experience to share with others. And now my whole life from the moment I woke up was about how do I share this with others? And eventually how do I help others to connect to heaven? And that's what I do. And it's really came full circle in grad school when I went to Naropa, which is a Buddhist university and had a counseling degree. It was just, everything has just come together in my life to show me that this is my path still. Mm -hmm. I've heard wonderful things about uh, Naropa. I I think Allen Ginsberg taught there for a while and actually a friend of mine taught there and, um, uh, I've always wanted to visit. What what uh, what would you say was the most important thing you learned there? Oh, the power of the present moment, the power of breath, the power of meditation, how we fall into believing our thoughts, how thoughts create our reality, and we can shape our reality based on the thoughts that we allow. I learned a practice there, just a simple practice of meditation, Shambhala meditation. It's just releasing with the out-breath. It sounds so simple, right? But it can be challenging to get the mind to quiet. And as I learned this tool, it really came back. And that's when I first experienced the Bonnie method of guided imagery. There's a very energetic music-based practice where we play music programs and it takes you into a space of connecting with your higher self. And the first time I experienced that at Naropa was the closest I've come to heaven again. And now... I know I can access that place, not on the same level, but on, on some level, I'm accessing it through my work and I can help others to access it and have their own experience, right? Yes. Yeah. Is your father still alive? He is. He lives in Washington. <laughs> the, what does he think of, of uh, your near-death experience? Have, you've told him about it. I have. They, my parents know. It was it was funny when I when I woke up. We I jokingly called myself a miracle because the doctor said, "Well, it's a miracle. No one's ever lived through this type of head injury except for one other girl in the state of Texas at the time. She was fourteen and was confined to a wheelchair the rest of her life. And I came out seemingly just with a black eye, right? But I mean, I had the physical scars. I had you know language that I had to relearn a little bit. But basically, I was me. It just, I didn't have my memories. I was a new me. I, my life started when I woke up from that coma. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so he knows about it and he's thankful and um, he, he knows that he was a big part of me coming back as well. Was he alarmed that, or were your parents alarmed that you couldn't remember uh, the details of your childhood before the, before that? Yeah, I think it, it almost seemed unbelievable to my friends and family. They didn't really understand how I could be speaking and I could still remember how to walk and, you know, and talk mostly, but not remember people. So for a long time, they would show me movies and home movies and say, does this spark anything? Do you remember that? Do you remember this? And the beauty of that was that I got to relive my childhood through uh, the stories. And my mom was pretty sad about it. She said, you had a great childhood. You were uh, such a happy child, right? Um, so she was a little sad, but but now it's just kind of known that's what happened. <laughs> yes. And you said you knew them through their essences, even though you couldn't remember the the physical life you'd lived with them. Explain explain a little about that. Yeah, I couldn't remember memories of people, but I knew who they were. Sometimes I like with my parents, I knew their energy. I knew that I loved them and I trusted them. So 
in a way, it helped me to become very intuitive about people in general and see their core, right? So I would I didn't have an actual memory of people, but I would know them through their energy and my my own spirits spirit mm-hmm. guides, right, telling me. Do you think you had a, a relationship with them in past lives? Yes, absolutely. I believe that we are connected to people in our lives that help us to learn the lessons we choose here to come here to learn. And I think that we we learn through, um, I guess, through contrast. Because when you're in the love on the other side, everything is possible. You're part of something so great that it can happen. Anything can happen. Anything is possible. You have no contrast. But placed here in a body where we're in the confines of human body and we're learning through life, we feel the contrast of our spiritual selves and human form. So through that contrast, we learn to expand our gifts. We learn lessons. We have lessons that come up over and over and over again because that's why we're here, right? Mm. So until we truly internalize and learn and grow through the lesson, it will stay with us and we will feel the difficulty and the pain from that. Now, in in the course of the accident, uh, apparently your horse broke his leg and had to be put down. And you uh, you had mentioned to me that you felt terribly guilty about that for a long time, but then something happened. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I held so much guilt. As a 12-year-old girl who loved horses, to find out that the horse died because I wanted to visit the horse. I just held that for so long. But recently, a friend of mine, we did a trade. I, I did work for her. I did the crystal bowls and, and the music and the oils for her to give her guidance and call in her angels. She gave me a reading, and the horse came through. I had never told her about the horse. I told, never told anyone about it. It was just something I held. And she said, there's a horse here. And the horse says it was all part of the plan. It chose this path. You can let go of the guilt. Like This was all part of the plan. And you both knew it coming in. And I felt a huge burden was lifted from my shoulders because, I mean, you just hold that as a child. It becomes a wound, feeling like you hurt somebody or something, right? Mm. It was beautiful to be able to release that and to understand that it's all part of something greater. Yeah. Yeah. As part of your healing practice, and I said mentioned it in my introduction, you say that angels uh, work with you or you work with angels in the healing process that you that you provide through all of these different modalities. And you said something to me about their first being rows of angels and now perhaps circles. Tell us about that. Well, every session or workshop that I do, the angels show up differently for me. And lately they've been showing me different formations, especially in the last 18 months or so. And uh, the way they communicate with me is through the formations that they bring through. And sometimes they'll just, I'll have a circle of women or men or both. And then I'll be at the front with my bowls and lead people through their own experience. And I'll see the angels just concentric rows and circles of angels behind them. Sometimes there'll be just angels next to each person. And then what surprised me was when I started seeing rows of angels. They're very stoic. They have on a red or burgundy sash. They're holding a staff. And in these moments, I've found there is a commonality in the workshop. It's usually someone who's grieving. And um, they show up almost like an army. And they just stand still. They don't get. They don't come into the circle or bring 
um, animals in or messages in the same way. They just stand guard. And, um, and I'm, and I'm not sure what they are, but I've been working to discover that through the books that I'm reading about the ascended master of the I am discourses. And it's helping me to understand what they're trying to show me. Wow. Well, in the few minutes we have left, uh, Ellen, why don't you tell our listeners what kinds of um, services you're providing now and, um, yeah. and also uh, your participation in the upcoming IONS conference? Oh, I'm very excited about the IONS conference. When I went there the first time, I felt home. You know, I didn't know other near-death experiencers existed. Uh, when I got the call to come there um, from my friend Lilia, my dear friend, dear friend now, she saw my story on YouTube and said, can you come? It's in two weeks. And I said, I think I can. And I, I went there and I felt so at home and listening to the stories was so inspirational. And it felt helped me to feel like there are others that understand, right? Because we all have similar experiences in some ways. Um, so I'm really looking forward on August 16th to presenting um, on uh, how the near-death experience can be used for healing. And that will be at 3 p.m. online. I'm also collaborating, uh, doing some collaborations right now, which are very exciting. I'm collaborating with Jack Canfield's team as a facilitator to help support emotional support. I work with veterans hospitals um, and, and hospitals in general on how to use essential oils to access the limbic brain and make quick shifts because I work with frequency, music, sound, and imagery. And then in Northern California, San Diego, I lead local workshops regularly. I have been presenting internationally at conferences on my process and how it works, training people how to do it. Um, but in, in, in all, my goal is to help someone to just be a tool for someone to access their own inner wisdom because the angels, I can't always tell you, you're your own best guide. So that's very exciting. And I'm working on a book. So, And I, I just had a publication in the um, John St. Edwards University uh, well, uh, Johns, Johns Hopkins, Johns, John Hopkins. Yes, that's right. John Hopkins. <laughs> so, all these things, very exciting things. <laughs> it is. Uh, the, the, after 30 years, it's been thir about 30 years, right? It's been Since, 30 years. Yeah. 31 years now. Isn't it amazing how long it takes for a near death experience to, to mature into a, a lifestyle mm -hmm. and, and to uh, begin to realize your gifts. Do it you is. feel like this gift of healing and your uh, gift of music uh, came out of that near-death experience? 100%. 100%. I believe that I came here for a purpose, and that is my purpose, absolutely. However, sometimes we have an experience that allows us to see the purpose more clearly. And once you know, and it's that thing that you know keeps you up at night, that thing that just drives you that you can't stop thinking about, right? That's how it really solidified for me, and that's when I knew. And I think others can have that through all sorts of other experiences in meditation or deep trances or even dreams, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, absolutely. That's when yeah. my life started. <laughs> now, if someone, uh, one of, if, if listeners wanted to get in touch with you, uh, how would they go about doing that? Well, I have a website. It's wellnessmusictherapy.com. You can reach me at Ellen at wellnessmusictherapy.com. Um, and I, I'm mostly on Facebook and Instagram. I have a group 
called Music Therapy and Essential Oils on Facebook. You can find me there or on Instagram. I'm uh, Music Therapy and Essential Oils on Instagram. So that's my, those are my handles. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you really believe in the efficacy of of, uh, healing oils or essential oils. Absolutely. It's all frequency. However, we can raise our frequency and we don't always have access to crystal bowls or music. So the essential oils will do that. They will raise our frequency significantly. So I, I use those when I can't actually be in person with people. And I use that to enhance the work that I'm already doing. Yeah. Well, Ellen, unfortunately, we're out of time for today, but uh, this has been wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And also, uh, thank you for your life, how you made that decision to come back in the capacity of healing. I mean, it's wonderful. Plus, heal is right in the middle of your name. I noticed that. Oh, wow, it is. I've never noticed it before. <laughs> you wow. haven't noticed that? No, it's built It's built right in. That's how you use it. Nice. W-H-E-A-L-T-O-N. There you go. Wow, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This was a joy. I love sharing my story. I love your story. I love this your work and this platform it's amazing so oh, well, i love this i love this job of mine myself yeah because i get to meet people like you well thanks again <laughs> thanks again and um let me remind all the listeners out there that i designated as telephone chaplains don't forget to keep using your phone or social media to check in on those folks you think might benefit from having someone to talk to in these days of isolation in various parts of the country And please stay masked and stay well. And until next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.